0: Respect to the people of the Woi Wurrung and Bunwarang language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands the Sin office and studios stand. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present, and emerging. Sin Media also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which Sin partner organisations stand sovereignty has never been ceded it always was and always will be aboriginal land this episode of raise the platform discusses mental health ableism queer phobia and briefly touches on the death of a sibling if you need support after hearing these discussions please contact one of the following numbers which are also in the description you can call lifeline on thirteen eleven fourteen, beyond blue on one 512 348 Kids Helpline on one Safe Steps on one 15 188 or QLife on one 184 527
1: This is the amazing Luna from um, Gay Heart Creative, which is an art collective um, through an Instagram account. And Luna is going to be talking to us about... Their artwork and what they've been making. So Luna, how long have
2: you been doing art for? Um, I would say like ever since I was young. I was really into creating and like um, painting and things like that. Um, so when I was in kindergarten, like classic ADHD, me wanted to be like a painter, but also like a cook, a teacher, a dancer. So I wouldn't couldn't just pick one thing. Um, but then I started like scrapbooking when I was nine years old, and I was really into that um and I love photography as like a 14 year old and I still love that now um and then when I was 21 is when I really got into collage art and I really just loved that um and I'm now just turned 25 so yeah a few years of doing collage now but yeah I've always considered myself um someone who's sort of arty and yeah into art so
1: your um, artwork is a lot of your artwork. If you look at Luna's Instagram account, there's a lot of collages, um, pretty much all entirely collages. And so how has the uh, this collage aesthetic developed over the years? Yeah. Of your career and of your artistic
2: journey? Yeah. Um, I think definitely, um, because I'm like autistic and like glitter for me is such a visual stim and so is like, like bright colours, so I think Glitter has always been, even when I did projects and posters um, in like middle school, high school, my posters would have glitter all over them. Um, So I've always just loved glitter and included that in my work and then sort of as I've um, come out as queer and I sort of like changed the way that I dressed a lot and started to bring a lot of colour into how I dress and then... um, when I was creating art as well just really wanted to make it really fun and colorful and yeah just like a real visual stim um for me I guess as well like I use a lot of nature in my collage like lots of flowers and butterflies and frogs um and so like frogs go through a metamorphosis process um like butterflies do obviously it's different um because frogs don't go into like a cocoon but um that like process of you know going from the tadpole to the frog is metamorphosis, and um I really like using like symbolism like that in my art like that process of transformation as well um so yeah there's those are some ways that I've sort of developed my aesthetic I think
1: so well, I, I do a lot of art and particularly a lot of um performance in, in terms of art and one of the things you talk a lot about is the creative process and so what is your creative process for creating your art so how do you go through do you go through a formal credit process or is it far less organized everything's different
2: Yeah, um, sometimes I guess when if I'm doing analog collage that's like using the physical paper and cutting and pasting rather than digital, um, I'll sort of, I have so many magazines at home and books just dedicated to using to cut out, to use for collage, Um, but I'll generally go through like some of these books and these magazines and tear out pages that I like and um, maybe start off with one main picture that I like, like a background picture of um, like a waterfall or landscape and then find other elements to add to it um, and then start to like place them on the page Um, although sometimes I get overwhelmed uh, so when that happens I'll just leave it until next time and not pressure myself and just go do something else um, and then come back to it. Um, I find like collage and for me just can involve a lot of decision-making which makes me quite tired so yeah I try to honor that when I feel overwhelmed and do something else non-art related like watching a TV show or reading a book or something to help me with that
1: yeah. How does your disabled identity come into your artwork?
2: Yeah I think um, being disabled has drawn me to create art. Um, For me it's become something that I use as a coping skill um, and a way for me to express my emotions, so, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, when I started doing, I started doing scrapbooking, and that was sort of a thing that me and my mum would do, and we'd go to, like, scrapbooking nights, um, and do scrapbooking as a way to, sort of, um, get some time together and connect, and was also a, a stress reliever as well, because growing up it was pretty hectic in my family, and there was a lot of things going on, um and then now yeah for me um being, like realizing I'm autistic as well it's a way for me to express my emotions in a way that um maybe I would f- maybe struggle to like with words so being able to do that in art um I think is really cool um yeah and I think as well like with um autism as well a lot of my special interests come out in my art like I use a lot of um sort of pictures of the moon and um planets and stars because i really like astrology and i'm really into that and um also yeah cats and pink being things that i'm really interested in and i think those really come out in uh, my art as well um so yeah yeah
1: um how does your queer identity come into your artwork
2: yeah um i think i guess like content warning for just mention of trauma but um I have like PTSD so sometimes I think it can be just dating can be difficult so um making art like sapphic art and queer art really allows me to explore my queerness and express it in a safe way for me which I think is really important um and it's just really fun as well um I feel like my younger self would be I'm really uh, proud of myself for making this art, um, especially because it was just hard growing up being a queer person um, in the communities that I was in. So, yeah, yeah.
1: How do you navigate being neurodivergent, so being autistic, because I'm autistic, um, mm. and having ADHD and a mental illness?
2: Yeah, um, it's been a real journey. Like, when I was younger, um, I knew uh, that I was like had anxiety, and. Um, was quite anxious, and um, that was quite obvious to me, but I didn't know that that was included in neurodivergence and didn't really have language to describe myself and my experiences. Um, and then, you know, um, sort of um, finding out I have other mental illnesses, and, um, and then realizing sort of recently, I think it's only been maybe six to nine months that I've. Um, Ago that I realized that I'm autistic. Um, it's sort of a trial and error thing. Like, it's been really interesting um, being able... It's been great being able to receive support for things like ADHD, like getting on medication for ADHD, and um, trying to find other people who have ADHD on TikTok or uh, on Instagram that will share their lived experience has been really helpful. And then with autism stuff, it's been very... It's quite been challenging to sort of see myself unmask and um how other people have sort of reacted to that and um what it means for me to kind of slow down and listen to my body and understand that um i'm taking in a lot more sensory information i might need more more breaks or you know i might need to wear sunglasses in the shopping center because the lights are really bright and things like that Um, so it's just really been a journey and um i think the thing that's really helped me is connecting with other people that are also um neurodivergent and like um have similar yeah mental illnesses or neurotypes as me um i think that's been so helpful to realize yeah i'm not the only one and other people get it as well um so yeah yeah
1: and one thing we are often also discovering people with finding out they're autistic is a lot of people were actually diagnosed as a child or diagnosed when they were much younger And that they they were never told Mm. either, or they just were never, they they were intentionally kept away from them. They're actually finding out, oh, you actually were diagnosed at some point in your life. You just never knew about it.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's not um, my experience, but it has been very interesting. Um, My little sibling was diagnosed when they were about four years old. And then I realized when I was 24, and there's kind of that, I think, um, for people that, have Found out later in life there's a bit of that grief that happens as well when you go, Oh gosh, like sort of grieving the support you could have received when you were younger. Um, so that's also a hard thing as well, but yeah, definitely, um, really disappointing, I guess, for people that have, um, that were diagnosed when they were younger and were never told when they were older because that would have been so helpful, but yeah.
1: And also being in a space where you can talk about, like I could never have talked about autism the way I do now in high school. And I still can't because i found that ever since I've been open about it, opportunities have been taken away from me that I would have had back before I was, as I had spoken about it. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: And it being a massive part of my life doing this show and I feel that I'm no longer able to actually do this anymore because I feel that it's eaten into my my professional life so much
2: yeah, yeah, and
1: that sucks yeah
2: absolutely
1: and it's sort of like you know people like people go on and on and on but you know it's all accepting these days you don't mm-hmm. it's not you don't have to you know you don't have to be so outspoken mad it's just it's not as big of a thing as it is you're making it but it actually is i still remember one thing very surreal while i was in this play two weeks ago for uni and we got to it we made you know we made the program for the play so you all had all your names put on the program we people could look up all the actors and it was all different names, different pronouns like you, it was like who are the, it's it was them but it was all different names and it turns out that none of them are out publicly none of them those who scared
2: yeah yeah
1: and their parents came all and it was all it was like different peoples surreal and that's just proves to me that there is actually a massive issue.
2: Still. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people might think that it you know, it's just super easy for us now, but it still is hard. Um, there's still a lot of people that don't understand and don't wanna understand and that's really difficult.
1: And the people who don't understand don't want to understand, or the same people who say there's nothing wrong with it, but there's the same people who will I know people who openly wouldn't hire somebody with, with different pronouns.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely
1: how do you feel pride as a queer disabled person?
2: I feel pride um, in the way that I've been able to recognize traits and then symptoms of um, especially of neurodivergence in myself and seeking help for it because for me um, I you know I think there are a lot of barriers um, to receiving support um, for Disability and seeking out diagnosis is also there's so many barriers to that. But even when I was, um, you know, experiencing um, poor mental health, um, depression, and anxiety, I had a few people tell me, Oh, like you don't need, I don't think you need to go on medication, and um, giving me their opinions when they hadn't really listened to me at all. And that was really, really frustrating. Um, and there was a lot of stigma around actually getting. Diagnosis for that and I feel like depression and anxiety is spoken about so much Um, So it's kind of wild to me that um, I Had so much pushback from people around me like even my counselor at the time had said that which was wild Um, And this was years and years ago Um, but Yeah, just recognizing these things and really like taking the time to learn about it and learn about myself and um, learn about how I can Um, make things more accessible to me and standing up for myself and um, I think just like the way that um, me and other disabled people um, you know fight, just fight ableism and you know um, we deal with that on a daily basis and that's awful but um, I think yeah just um, being proud of everything I've been able to do and um, being able to also rely on community for support as well. Um, I guess as well, like content wanting for loss of a sibling, but my little um, sibling was like really showed me, I think what disability pride looks like. Um, They passed away about a year and a half ago, but they really showed me what it was like for a a queer and disabled person to feel pride and joy and be themselves um, and just really accept themselves and just have fun with with their identity and I love that so yeah definitely I think they're a big part of how I feel pride and um, yeah how I've learned to, to accept myself and um, celebrate me so
0: yeah. If any of the previous conversation made you distressed and you need more support, please reach out to one of the following numbers lifeline on 13 11 14 beyond blue on one 512 348 kids helpline on 1800 55 1800 safe steps on 1800 015 188 or qlife on 1800 184 527
1: I think one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is that you can't choose whether to be an artist or other things. Yeah. Um, where to start? I studied theatre at university, with the, but then I got interested in theatre directing. Currently I'm a dramaturg of a play at, at university. I also did German as my minor, and also I love reading the German philosophy, so it's so fascinating, and all the sort of um, filmmaking, particularly German filmmaking, like Metropolis and things like that. I also um, did history as another thing I absolutely love doing. Mm-hmm. Then I do radio broadcasting, and do journalism through radio broadcasting, and I've done a few other things outside of that, and I've got a random interest in law. I wanted mm-hmm. to do some... Such a, of people love learning about rules, and um, I would like, I'm thinking of doing law at some point, but I also want to go to do master's PhD in history and do history, like, as a history professor. So, how on earth do all these things at once, on top of theatre directing, visual arts, music, and so many other things? And Mm. I was talking to some people, um, you know, do you want to do all of these? Do you do all these at the same time? I'm like, and there were the group at uni who were like the socialists, and I was like, you know, this feminism thing that you talk about—I want a big slice of that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's great being interested in so many different things, and I think sometimes you just got to prioritize, you know, where you, where you can best spend your energy right now, and what what the you know the opportunities available to you, which ones you want to go with, and I think it's like great just knowing that you know you don't like people don't just stay in one career path that people change. I think it's, you're supposed to apparently average person change their career path like at least four times in their life. So, I mean, yeah, you can just go, you can just like just change directions, you know, anytime. And I think, I think that's great. Um, And just, I think just take it one day at a time. And yeah, you've got heaps of time. So yeah, but that's great. I love it when people have lots of passions.
1: So tell us the exhibition you were a part of last year called It's a Mad World.
2: Yeah, so um, last year I was a part of um, Satellite Foundation, um, hosted this really cool exhibition, Satellite Foundation. Um, They are a non-profit organisation and they essentially um, create and provide resources and programs for young people um, like children and young people who have a fam- like family member who's experienced um, mental health challenges and the families maybe experienced chronic stress and things like that. Um, just like having a safe space for kids and children to talk about that um, and have support. Um, and I'm on actually on the Youth Advisory Council which is really exciting but um, It's a Mad World essentially had me and a few other um, creatives, artists, um, just create art about mental health and um, or mental illness and um, it was actually interactive as well so um, I created a few really fun collages um, that were just poking fun at how um, mental health is really sort of just dealt with in like a non-holistic way often um, in sort of our capitalistic society like um, just how Um, I think one of them said, like, my inner child, um, you know, doesn't want to work, like, and um, you know, saying things like, like, meditation alone isn't going to solve the climate crisis and, you know, my mental health is impacted by things like housing insecurity and ableism and um, all of those things. Um, So that was really fun and um, I really loved that. I think it's really nice when you can create art that people can interact with as well like uh, we had a sort of piece of paper next to my art and people could write down the things that they really wanted to see change for people's mental health to be like really greatly impacted and people would put you know they want um, free healthcare or like free medicine and they wanted like land back and things like that and that was really powerful seeing what everyone had come up with and Um, I think that's just a great way to do exhibitions when you're actually involving people um, in your art, and you can see how they're connected with it, which is really, really cool.
1: And I think think people really understand is how much stressful life, much more stressful life, is when you're autistic and you're facing barriers, and you know, being denied work. You know, people think you know the secret to affording a house, a car is you know you step into a two hundred thousand dollar job, which is what you need to afford these things these days. And well, that's a huge. There's a huge barrier to that when you're autistic, when especially when you're openly autistic, especially when they're as open about it as me. And I think one thing I was was very interesting is that a lot of the government programs do not cover the immense cost of being disabled. Things like mobility aids, accessibility devices are so expensive and autistic people are denied the opportunity to earn enough money to actually get these things. And in a way we're punished for being disabled. And I've openly talked about this and the response I get from able-bodied people is, you know, work harder, you don't deserve extra money or nonsense like that. And they just sort of say, it's your own fault that you're like this. And that's so ableist and so disgusting. And it's not my fault. I was born like this, I couldn't help it. And I think a big part of my life is that I do work twice as hard as other non-disabled non people. And as angry as I am that I have to do that, I do um, I, I do enjoy my work. I do enjoy sitting here and talking to you and recording and then editing when I get home. And, you know, I'm ten times more successful than people who have bullied me. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think it's quite, um, you know, a lot of people just assume that, all disabled people have access to things like NDIS and things like that, but a lot of us don't. Um, And the the process of getting onto the NDIS is also quite inaccessible and very, like, laborious process.
1: It's traumatic. It's very invasive. Um, Mm -hmm. People, like, they scrutinise you so much to get onto the NDIS and it's so... Mm -hmm. I know people who are willingly not doing it. Either because they find it too exhausting, or they just don't want people coming into their lives and going through their private lives. And also, just are people like me who um, can go into periods of being able to work extra hard and being having to stay home and not being able to do anything because of emotional needs is invasive. And I'm worried that you know my boyfriend doesn't earn nearly enough money for me and him. Yet I'm going to have I can't be on. Government money temporarily because I need it because he earns too much. I'm not living in the 1950s where I've got to ask my male partner for money. I'm sorry, that's not happening. It's not happening.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's very disappointing. Um, And even with like, you know, when same-sex marriage got passed and it was like, oh, now like, you know, you've got it's marriage equality is done and it's like, well, no, actually, people like people that are on DSP, if they have a partner and they're married, they lose that support or it goes down like quite a lot so there was these two um two girls that were high school girls and they were talking and i happened to overhear the conversation and um one of them goes oh my goodness can you ever imagine if um like there was a rumor started that i was homophobic like i would just like want to just i would just die and i was like oh this is this is so cute. Like,
1: <laughs> I was <laughs> expecting that to go the other way because yeah. <laughs> I think some of the stuff I've read online is even worse than what's happening when I was in school.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely that. Um, definitely still homophobia exists and um, is very prevalent in schools and that needs to change. Um, it was just a very, um, it was very cute and I was like, oh, I wish, I wish that was the environment for me when I was younger, but um, I guess...
1: Is this weird how people can be so pro these things, but when it happens to people that they know, they are all weirded out by it? If I told anyone from school that I was disabled, they would be so weirded out by it. You're okay about this two weeks ago, mate. Why are you all weird about it now when it's somebody you know? Tell us where we can find your art and how to support you.
2: Yeah. Um. So at the moment, I am selling my art at Incubator. Um... So you can uh, go onto their website, or you can also go into the Fitzroy store to buy um, my art from Incubator, uh, and all the all the sales go directly to me, the artist. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at GayHeartCreative, and I'm also on Facebook as well. Um, and I sometimes have markets as well, so um, keep an eye open for those. And I'll also have um, be a part of an exhibition. Probably in late April or May, so um, that'll be exciting as well. But yeah. Thank you. This has been Luna from Gay Heart
1: Creative. Um, Thank you so much for being part of our show, Various a Platform on Here on Sin. And
2: thank you so much for having me. It's been so great.